So uh, we're, we're using this series of Lent to talk about this, this lead up to Easter to talk about the passion of Jesus, uh, to give us something to focus on as we're starting this uh, discipline of connecting with God, to center ourselves around the cross and the empty tomb, to prepare ourselves for the Easter event so that it doesn't just uh, spring up and, and, and we give very little thought to its implications for our life. So we're going to finish off uh, the Gospel of Mark and look at the last 24 hours of Jesus life before his crucifixion, and then right through to his resurrection. And this is often called the passion. Um, that, that word comes from the Greek word pathos, which means to suffer. Uh, it's, it's literally the suffering of Jesus right through his arrest and his uh, trial and his suffering leading up to the crucifixion, and then three days later, his resurrection. And so we'll hit the key moments in the passion over the next few weeks. And really, everything that we've done in Mark's gospel to this point has been pointing us here. All the miracle stories, all the nature miracles, all the teachings, all the exorcisms, all the healings, all the controversies, all the debates that Jesus has won with everybody, all of that has been pointing us forward to these chapters, to these moments. This is undoubtedly the climax of the entire gospel story, the climax of every gospel story as it rises to its crescendo with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, some have described Mark's whole gospel as a passion narrative with an extended introduction. It's all just building up to this. And you can see that by the timeline that happens. You, you, you look at the first 14 chapters of Mark's gospel, and it covers years of Jesus' ministry, at least three years, uh, go, and then going right back, jumping a lot, going back to his birth. But as soon as you get to Mark 14, verse 12, the, the whole timeline just screams to a halt. And Mark walks us step by step, meticulously, through the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. All the time frame slows down and the pace of the action quickens. It's sort of the classic crescendo to the story that has been going on. And so we're going to pick it up this morning in Mark 14, verse 12, a passage which will be very familiar and will provide for us a really great lead into communion, which we will we'll, uh, celebrate together after the message. So Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, just to situate the story for you in the whole chronology of the Passion, Jesus uh, is crucified on a Friday. He's crucified about mid-afternoon on a Friday, about 3 p.m. And where we are now in this story is Thursday evening. So it's the day before, it's about 7 or 8 p.m. at night. So we're just under 24 hours out from the crucifixion. And uh, Jesus prearranges the night before, he's got these 12 close disciples, and he prearranges this meal that he's going to enjoy with them in this house in Jerusalem. The scene is an upper room. Uh, it was a, an empty kind of room. It probably would have been a, a guest room, maybe a retreat room, maybe a storage room. And Jesus has organized with the owner of this house for his disciples to share a meal with him there, uh, knowing what's coming. He knows this is the last um, evening meal that they're going to be able to spend together. Now, here's the key to understanding this whole passage. This is not just any meal. This meal is a Passover meal. And that's absolutely critical to understanding what goes on here. This is not just a dinner um, with, with friends. This is the Passover. And Passover was one of three significant Jewish festivals in the Jewish calendar. Uh, still celebrated today. Uh, every one of, of the festivals that Jews celebrate tells the story of their history in some way. It celebrates a moment, it celebrates a sequence in their history where God has acted on their behalf. And the big thing with the Passover uh, festival, the Passover meal, is that it celebrates what we call the Exodus. Some of you are familiar with the story, the Exodus story, where God delivered the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, out of slavery in Egypt and, and led them into freedom in Canaan, in the land of Canaan. That story is really the big saving event that God performs in the Old Testament. That is what Jews celebrated every single year. This was a time when people flocked to Jerusalem. They had meals as families, and they would tell the story of Passover and what God had done for them during that time. Every single part of this meal was significant. Every single little element of it told something else about the story. It pointed towards something. It was symbolic of something. So that as you went through this meal, you were retold the story of what God did centuries ago, thousands of years ago, by bringing His people out of slavery and into freedom. The whole story is a story of liberation. It's the story of the freedom of the Jewish people. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the various elements of this meal. We can assume there's a lot more that happened in this meal than what Mark tells us and the other gospel writers. But we have, in a few weeks' time, Brian McStay is going to do a seminar specifically on the Passover meal. And he's going to do this on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. Uh, he's got, he, he actually sets up the whole table with all the different elements of food on it that uh, Jews would celebrate on this night. And he will talk through all of the various things, how the whole evening flows, and the rich symbolism behind it, and how this connects to our life of faith today. So, we're not going to go through all of that now, but I can encourage you to come along to that seminar, and this will deepen out your understanding of Passover and its significance as it points toward Jesus. The whole festival, though, is about this journey, the slavery to freedom journey, and you, and you can see it with different aspects. Uh, the, the main course of the meal was lamb, 
pretty, pretty decent lamb. Uh, what would happen is that the Jews would go out and slaughter a lamb on the preparation day for Passover. And this would be the main course because those of you that know the story, you remember back in Exodus, when the slavery uh, happens and when, when this release from slavery happens, the night before the Jews are released, or really the night of the, the, the day Jews are released, uh, God says to Moses, through Moses, to the Israelites, He says, I want you all to take a lamb, slaughter a lamb, and put the blood of this lamb, smear the blood of this lamb over the doors of your homes. And that night the angel of the Lord passes over the city in Egypt where these slaves were. That's why it's called Passover. The angel passes over the city and strikes dead all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt, except for those from the homes with the blood of the lamb smeared across the door. And so that's why that blood, that lamb's blood is so significant, because it is what protects, it is what literally saves these Jewish peoples. And that's the last straw. The, the, the pharaoh, the Egyptian pharaoh, then says, right, you can go. He lets the Egyptians go, and then, of course, he pursues them. They pass through the Red Sea. On the story goes, 40 years later, finally, God settles them in their own land in Canaan, um, in that eastern part of the Mediterranean, that little strip, uh, which is kind of equivalent to the modern Israeli state. Finally, Israel settles in that land. So the whole way through, uh, elements of the story are, are coming out. Another one you see here, just incidentally, Mark mentions that Jesus and his disciples are reclining at the table. That's not just uh, an accident. That's not just happened to be how it was. The, the meal was about reclining. You would recline on your couch, and this was a symbol of freedom. This was a symbol for the Jews that they were, they were God's free people. He freed us once, and he's going to one day free us again. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the Roman Empire who were occupying them at the time. One day God's going to come back and do again what he once did back then. So they would lounge around. They'd just kind of slouch on these couches, chill out, and enjoy this meal. Everything has significance. So Mark here focuses on two parts of the meal, which are a little bit unusual from how they should have happened in the course of a regular Passover. The first is when, when, when Jesus, who is kind of playing the role here of the family head, the paterfamilias who would lead the, the ceremony for his family, and Jesus is, is taking his disciples through this. And he comes to this point where he has this unleavened bread. And this was part of the deal. Everybody knew this was coming. There's a very strict formula for this. Uh, the, the unleavened bread symbolizing the haste with which the Israelites left Egypt didn't have time to break, bake bread. So Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, take it, this is my body. That's really only significant in view of what he was supposed to say, because it wasn't this. There's a pretty strict routine for how these things go. What, it, what he was supposed to say is, praise be to thou, O God of heaven, who brings forth bread from the earth. That's the line. That's what you say at Passover when you break the bread. And Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, he says this very succinct little statement. He says, take it. It's just one word in Greek, lambete, take, literally take. This is my body, or this is the body of me. Literally, this is, this is me. Now, imagine what these disciples thought when Jesus says that. They're thinking, hang on a minute, that's not the script. They've got a pretty set order of play here, and he's just veered off message. What's going on? Why, what, what's he saying? What's this take and eat? This is my body. What happened to bringing forth bread from the earth? What happened to all the stuff you're supposed to do? 
And then Jesus takes a glass of wine, one of four glasses of wine, by the way, that were consumed during the course of the meal. Probably this was after the meal. Most likely the bread's before and the cup is after. He takes this cup and he prays a prayer of thanksgiving, which he was supposed to do. So far, so good. But then as the cup is being passed out, he again veers into uncharted territory. And he says this extra little bit here in verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And again, his disciples would have been wondering, why is Jesus suddenly going off script like this? Why is he making this about him? Why is Jesus, what's this about my body, my blood? This is about God who has rescued us and the bread and the wine and so on. Why is this suddenly about him? What's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Well, let me answer that question by asking you another one. Why Passover? Why this festival? Think about that. God could have chosen any day in the entire calendar year for Jesus to be crucified. He could have orchestrated it however he'd wanted to, and God chose Passover. Why not another day? Why not another festival? Why not Yom Kippur, where the Jews celebrate atonement and forgiveness? Why not the Festival of Tabernacles? Why not the Festival of Feast of Purim? Why Passover? And I think it's because Jesus wants us to see this Passover story, this Exodus story, as a way of understanding what's about to happen. As a way of, of interpreting what he is going to go through over the next 24 hours. Jesus didn't want his disciples just to walk through the next day and only see the physical. And only see the horror of his flogging, his crucifixion and his suffering. He didn't want them just to see that, hideous though that was. He wanted them to understand the deeper significance. He wanted them to see this in the, in the context against the backdrop of the whole Exodus story, the whole Passover story. Scholars have debated what Jesus himself thought about his own death. Set aside for a minute what centuries of theologians have told us about what Jesus' death meant. What did Jesus himself think his death was going to accomplish. And I don't think it gets clearer than this. That Jesus takes these elements the night before and he says, this now is about me. This Passover story now is being reworked and I am the main character. Jesus is seeing that his death and his resurrection will be a dramatic retelling of the Exodus story. This is the new Passover story. This is the new journey out of slavery and into freedom. See, often we think about Jesus and Passover and we, and we think of Jesus being like the lamb. And that's true. There's that symbolism there. Jesus, just as the, the blood of the lamb in Exodus covered the doorposts and kept the Israelites safe, so now the blood of Jesus, the lamb, covers us. His blood protects us from God's wrath and saves us from our sins. But there's more to it than that. There's a deeper significance. Jesus is not just telling us that he is the lamb. He's telling us this whole story, the whole Exodus journey from, from slavery in Egypt through to freedom in, in Canaan is now all about him. Jesus is like the new Moses, the one greater than Moses, Hebrews says, the greater than Moses one. He is now going to confront an enemy much greater than Pharaoh. He's going to confront the ultimate slave master, Satan, the one who holds all people in captive. And he is going to demand to Satan, 
just as Moses demanded from Pharaoh, let my people go. And then he is going to take all those who will follow him through this new Red Sea as he faces a horror far greater than the Red Sea. He faces the cross and he will lead us into this new place of freedom. Not a new physical land, but a new space of being right with God, new relationship with God, freedom from sin, forgiveness from sin, citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, membership in the new covenant, grace and peace and mercy and justification and the hope of eternity with Christ when we die. That's the freedom end of what Jesus is doing. And he wants his disciples to see this whole story. It's now being reconfigured around Jesus. He is the new Moses who's leading this new exodus and all those who follow him are going to experience a freedom which is far greater than anything the Israelites experienced in the land of Canaan. That's why he says, this is my body. This is my blood. Because now it's about Jesus. And here's the unbelievable part to all of this. You notice that Jesus doesn't just break the bread and eat it himself. He doesn't just take the cup of wine and drink it himself. He passes it around. And every time this happens, in a, in a Jewish context, there is massive significance to this. Those who are around the table, as the bread is passed around, as the cup is passed around, the symbolism is that those who partake in it share in the blessing. Those who take the bread and take the cup, they receive. Whatever is being blessed, whatever is being proclaimed, that blessing is mediated to those around the table, through the bread, through the cup. They are drawn into it, into this incredible table fellowship and united in this incredible blessing. Jesus is saying, this exodus is not just about me. It's not just something I'm doing and it's not just something I'm doing for a distant group of people out there somewhere. This is for you. This is for you. This whole ceremony, this whole ritual this whole thing that I'm going to go through over the next 24 hours, this is about you. You, those of you who are around the table, and more broadly, all those of us who follow this Jesus, we are now the recipients of that blessing. We are now the recipients of that incredible exodus journey that Jesus himself went through from slavery to freedom. We're now drawn into it. And he's saying, this is now your story. You are now invited to come on this incredible exodus journey with Jesus, this journey out of slavery and this journey into freedom and into new life. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus says, take it. Eat, drink, you people, take it. That's the invitation to us, is to be participants, is to start out on this journey with Jesus, this incredible freedom trail that he's leading us on. And at the deepest level, this is for those who don't know what it is to, to have relationship with Jesus. It's an invitation to step out of a life of slavery to ourselves, a life of slavery to our own sin and those things that bind us and trap us and weigh us down. And it's an invitation to step into new life, freedom and forgiveness and being right with God. That is an invitation that Jesus extends to every single one of us. Some of you in this room have made that journey. You've taken that exodus journey with Jesus already. Some of you haven't. And I'm telling you, if you haven't, you're missing out. 
because this is the best invitation you're ever going to get to step away from slavery to your old life and step into a new freedom with Jesus in his kingdom, in his new creation. Paul says that God is transferring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that transfer is one that only God can take you on, but it's one that he invites you to come with him on. And I'm telling you, if you haven't yet made that transition, today's the day. Think about it. Act on it. Don't leave this place without undertaking that exodus journey. That's the whole reason Jesus went to the cross, to purchase that freedom. Make it possible for you to go on exactly that journey with him. And then as we as we take that journey and as we make that step, it's not just a one-time thing. Because this Exodus journey, this Passover story, then works its way right through our lives. It works its way into every area of our lives. And our whole lives as followers of Jesus become an Exodus journey. They become a retelling of the Passover story. In fact, they become a series of Exodus journeys as we move from slavery to all kinds of things towards freedom from those things that bind us and trap us and enslave us and hold us down. This was Jesus' point. As he looked around this table, think of who he was staring into the eyes of. Judas, who was about to betray Jesus and hand him over to the authorities. I think Jesus in this moment was hoping perhaps Judas would remember his words at this meal. Take and eat, this is my body. I'm offering you freedom. I'm offering you hope. I'm offering you new life, not that dark life of betrayal. Think about Peter sitting at the table. And Jesus says right in the, in, in the very same passage, just a few verses later, one of you is going to pretend you don't even know me tonight. Three times. And Peter, you know, typical impetuous Peter, not me. Hey, hey, must be that guy, not me. I'm with you all the way, Jesus. And then sure enough, before the um, night is over, Peter pretends three times to people that he doesn't even know, that don't even matter, that he doesn't even know this Jesus. When Jesus needed him most, Peter completely pretends he, he doesn't know Jesus. And then as the rooster crows, you remember the story? Peter runs outside just in a, in a, in a heap of shame and self-condemnation and self-loathing and just the, the, the absolute shame and lowness of that moment and the failure that he felt. And there's Peter in slavery right there to his own sin and his own shortcoming. But then several days later after Jesus is raised from the dead, an interesting thing happens. Jesus meets with his disciples, including Peter, on a beach. And he has breakfast with them, has a little barbie on the beach. And as part of that conversation, he, he asks Peter three times. Have you read the story? He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter gets a bit frustrated. Why do you need to ask me three times? But Jesus does. And that story perfectly mirrors the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. Those two stories are meant to be read together. That's the point. Peter denies Jesus three times over here. Jesus comes back and he restores Peter three times over here. And what you see there is that Exodus journey in Peter's life. That's what it looks like. That Jesus comes back here and he forgives Peter and he restores Peter and he reassures Peter that he loves him and he commissions Peter for a significant leadership role in the very first church, the, the early Jesus movement. Peter becomes a leading light. That was Peter's journey out of self-condemnation and self-pity and self-loathing into this new freedom 
a new mantle of leadership and renewal of his relationship with Jesus. And every one of us, sometimes several times, sometimes many journeys at once, are called to take this exodus walk. This walk from slavery to freedom. Because there are things in our lives, in my life I know, and in yours, that are controlling us, that are holding us back, and they are wearing us down. They are draining us, and they are keeping us. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, these things keep you down. They've got a grip on your life. You know the kinds of things I'm talking about. For some of you, it's addictive behaviors. Perhaps it's alcoholism. Maybe it's workaholism. Perhaps it's a sexual addiction. Maybe it's perfectionism. These kind of things, regardless of whether you are a follower of Christ or not, have a grip and they have a power to entangle us and to wear us down and to erode our hearts and they can keep you trapped in slavery. For some of you, it's, it's something on the inside that's enslaving you this morning. Some of you are slaves to, to bitterness and resentment toward another person. Somebody's done something to you, somebody's wronged you, somebody's hurt you, somebody's wounded you somehow, and you just can't let it go. And you're holding on to that, and every time you think of that person, and every time you, you see that person, your stomach gets knotted up, and you can't even bear the thought of relating to them. You're enslaved to your own resentment. You're enslaved to your own bitterness. Some of you are enslaved to just negativity and pessimism and cynicism. And that's where you live. Nobody's good enough and nothing's good enough and a glass is always half empty. And that just deteriorates. It's a cancer that eats you from the inside up. Some of you are right there this morning. You're in that place and that has this enslaving effect on your life. Some of us are slaves to other people. You might be a slave to your parents' expectations on your life. They might not even be alive anymore, but it's like they're watching over your shoulder and nothing you do is good enough. And there is the sense of expectation that you have that ultimately you've placed on yourself and you just cannot shake it off. You've tried and you've tried and every previous attempt has failed. Some of us are, are slaves to the approval of other people. Are you an approval addict? There's some of you in this room. Approval addiction. You just need others to like you. You're, an, you're, you're a slave to having other people. And so you will do what you need to do, say what you need to say, uh, you know, betray your own convictions if necessary, just to have the approval of other people. And the thought of disagreeing with someone or confronting somebody or taking another position, you just don't have it in you. You're a jelly spine. So you're starting to get fidgety now, aren't you? These are the, you know what I'm talking about. Though? These are the things that enslave us. These are the things that trap us. And we try and we try and we try, but we just cannot deal with these things. I've got stuff in my life like this. Just this last week, there's some habits in my life that resurfaced that I'm not proud of. And honestly, I came back and I was preparing this message and I read this story again and I found myself saying to God, you know, God, I, I see a lot of the slavery end of the story, but I'm not seeing much freedom right now. I'm stuck over here in the slavery side and I, I'm not really seeing the freedom end. But I came back again and just reread this passage and tried to hear again the words that Jesus said to his disciples that night. Take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. So he doesn't offer us the quick fix, does he? 
doesn't offer us the instant solution, doesn't offer to flick a switch in your life and suddenly you're going to be free from compulsive behaviours, patterns of thinking, ways of acting that have entrenched themselves in your life. But what Jesus does promise us is himself. He promises us his own presence. And he promises us that he'll take our hand and he'll lead us one step after one step after one step towards freedom. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Connection Point.